This is our last program. Welcome. We're almost to Christmas. Amen. Our numbers are down a bit today, but the Lord did say we're two or three gathered together. There I will be with you also. And we've got more than two or three. Um, I hope that as you came in, you were able to get the handout. Have you all got the handout? It was at the door. That again was done on a computer that I've only been able to just get up. And it was actually rushed out today. And I apologise for that. So if there are some spelling mistakes, please uh, be merciful with me because it's been a very difficult week technologically for me. We're going to study, and this is a Bible study this afternoon, the mark of the beast. It's the conclusion of this series. And I pray and I hope that you've been blessed by it. And I pray and I hope that as we do this last study, that the Lord will once again come and visit your heart and your mind and he'll convict you of the truth of what we're studying and it'll move you to have a closer walk with him because that's what, in the end, this series is about. Let's bow our heads as we ask Jesus one more time this year to be with us. God, we come before you this afternoon. We thank you for the beautiful Sabbath day we've had, for the baptisms this morning, both down at the river and here in the church. We just pray for one more time that you would choose, because of your mercy, to come and to bless us, to be here, to open this message up to thirsty souls, so that, Lord, they'll leave this place not just knowing about end time events, but they'll leave this place having been drawn in that strange way as you do to you and to no other. So glory and honour, blessings to you, Lord, as we bask in your presence this afternoon. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Mark of the Beast. I thought we may start this afternoon by doing just a little bit of revision. You know, when I was at school, when I was at college, I would come into class and the teacher would say, it is time for us to do a little bit of revision. And he or she, our lecturer, our teacher, would go back over what they had taught us in the previous lessons. Now there's a reason I want to go back through this revision because today's topic, the mark of the beast, brings us to the conclusion of this Bible study. And I just want to remind you where we've gone and it's been a good road. You will remember in the first program, Nostradamus, that we saw four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. The first beast was a lion with wings. The second beast was a bear with three ribs in its mouth. The third beast was a leopard with four heads and four wings. And the last beast was an undescribable beast. Daniel saw these beasts in vision. And it was an, you will remember that as we did this study, it was an amazing vision. The lion with the wings represented the ancient kingdom of Babylon. God had actually given Daniel a vision, a dream of nations down through the history, through the annals of history. We had the lion with eagle's wings, ancient Babylon. Then followed by ancient Babylon was the ancient kingdom of Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was followed by Alexander the Great and Greece, who was followed by pagan, do you remember who it was? Rome. And so at the end of that first program, we were able to conclude that, Dan, that God was able to tell Daniel the future, which is exactly what God did. Because we're studying in 2005, we no longer see this vision that Daniel saw 600 years before Christ as future. It's past. 
But for Daniel, when he got the vision, it was future. We followed that program up with a program called The Rise of the Antichrist. And we saw how pagan Rome broke into ten different tribes. And out of those ten tribes came a small power, we were told in Daniel chapter 7, which grew into a large, powerful power. And do you remember who that power was? It was the church of Rome. And we find that the church of Rome has a significant part to play in the end of this world. We follow that up the following week with America. Well, that's not true actually with a woman rides the beast. And there we went to Revelation chapter 13. And in Revelation chapter 13, we found out that John the Revelator, 600 years after Daniel, the ancient prophet, had lived, had a vision. And you remember in that vision he saw a beast coming out of the sea and that beast in Revelation chapter 13, 600 years after Daniel had his vision, was the church of... Rome. And then the following week, which was last week, we looked in America, at America in Bible prophecy. And we began to see, and we'll see more of this this afternoon as it unpacks, we began to see how the United States of America will play a significant role at the end of time. And we saw how Pentecostalism, which has its roots in the United States of America, is impacting the world and will impact the world in the future. And I want to start off today in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Revelation. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Now, if, if you don't have your Bibles, follow along on the screen. But I believe there is a power for you, students of prophecy, and that's what you are, to be able to open your own Bibles and to read from the words of your Bible what God is telling you today in prophecy. Revelation chapter 13 verse 11, you'll remember that the, the ancient prophet John is the writer of this book. He is in vision. In the first part of chapter 13, we remember he saw the church of Rome and now he sees a second beast. This is revision still. <coughs> Revelation chapter 13 verse 11, John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Now, if I was a teacher, actually I trained as a teacher, not a pastor, I would, I would now ask you the class, who is this second beast in Revelation chapter 13 that John sees. Now I'm asking you as a class, I'm not asking you to put your hand up, but perhaps you can do what teachers tell you never to do. See, I'm a pastor in the end. You can cry out, who is it? This second beast that we see in Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 is the United States coming up out of the earth, out of a place where there are very few people. You remember that when America was founded, there are very few people on that continent. He had two horns like a lamb. Had the characteristics of Jesus. The United States is a modern nation founded on the principles of Jesus Christ and his commandments. But eventually, the Bible says, he will speak like a dragon. Now, let's look at this, verse 12. We looked at this last week, but we'll move quickly. He, the United States of America, exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. 
And he made the earth and its inhabitants. <coughs> Excuse me. And he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. I want to ask you, are we talking past, present, future here? Present and future. The Bible says here that the United States of America will have all the authority that the ancient church of Rome had. Now, you remember we looked at the ancient church of Rome and it was all conquering. Nobody dared in the Middle Ages, some call it the Dark Ages, nobody dared to question the church of Rome. The Bible says here that America would have all her authority. Now, I ask you, has the United States of America right now, 2005, December 3, has the United States of America got the authority that the Church of Rome had in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages? No, they have not. Are they heading in that direction? It's incredulous, isn't it, that today the United States of America is the only superpower left on the planet. When Adventists, when Protestants began preaching this truth, they were, we were ridiculed. And yet now here we are in 2005 and never has the Bible unfolded to a people so clearly as it will to you this afternoon. The United States, the one sole superpower that is left, the Bible says, look at it, he exercised all the authority of the Church of Rome on his on the church of Rome's behalf and made the earth, didn't deceive the earth, didn't try and try and persuade the earth. The Bible says, made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And we saw last week this verse, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in the full view of man. And we looked last week at what fire was in the Bible and we found that out that fire represented the Holy Spirit. But this fire that comes out of the United States of America deceives mankind. So it can't be the Holy Spirit because we found out last week the Holy Spirit pushes us into what? Biblical truth. This fire pushes us out away from Jesus and biblical truth. It has to be a false Holy Spirit or a false movement of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you can judge whether a, whether a movement, whether it be Adventism or anything else, is of or not of the Holy Spirit is by testing it against the Word of God, the Bible. And so we began to look, where is there a movement, not a denomination, not a, not, not a religion, not a church, but where is there a movement that's sweeping across the world that claims to be of the Holy Spirit, and yet is, and it's sad to say, deceiving people. And I put it to you last week that there is no other movement that I know of in the earth today, in the world today. If you believe we're in the end of time like I do, there is no other movement that is fire-driven other than the Pentecostal movement, which is interdenominational, it goes across all church boundaries. There is no other movement. And you study that movement, you will find that it is not. Now, I, I told you last week, I believe there are millions, millions, millions of Pentecostal Christians that if Jesus was to come, they're going to heaven, praise God through His grace. But that is not a movement... And I can tell you, you've got to open your eyes and look at things seriously in your own heart with your own minds. There's not a movement that is, that is, that is pushing people 
into the truth. Get on the internet if you don't want to go to one of their churches. In fact, I advise you go to the internet. Have a look at what the Pentecostal movement is pushing people to believe. Try it against the rock, Jesus and his word. And judge it and see how it adds up. And I want to tell you from my own, from my own experience, it falls down. And in fact, we've got a, we've got a movement of the spirit that's sweeping Christianity that, 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 that is breaking down every denominational barrier. And what it's doing as it does that is it's leading people away from biblical truth. Pentecostalism is not pushing people into the truth of the Sabbath or the truth of the second coming or the truth of the state of the dead. In fact, it's the greatest deception in modern day Christianity the church has ever faced. And it's a deception that my own church, Seventh-day Adventism, is struggling to deal with because it is a movement of fire, it is a false movement, but it is a movement of fire that, is, that, that, that assaults and pleases the senses. And when you have a movement that assaults and pleases the senses, very difficult, I know from my own experience, very difficult to resist. And we found out that verse 14 says, <clears throat> because of the signs, because of the false spirit, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And I want to tell you right now that I believe with all my heart that the reason this false spirit works amongst the churches of Christianity today is to break down all the, the, the fundamental doctrinal differences between us so that Protestantism, that's what I'm a part of. I talk about myself, my own religion, my own denomination, plus all the other Protestant denominations, so that united... With every, unity is a good thing. But unity must be in the what? The truth. If unity is not in the truth, it is a bad thing. And the unity that is coming between all the Protestant churches that is coming today with Pentecostalism, which is breaking down the barriers, specifically through music. Music is a powerful thing. And the worship style is, is, is superimposing its, itself over any doctrinal differences and what it is doing is it, is it is uniting the churches of Christendom together and we are going to see some very big things happening in the next few years, I believe, in our world. Now this is where we start our Bible study. Verse 14. He, the United States of America, ordered them, who's them? It's the world to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And as I read this scripture and as I study it, I ask myself the question, what is this image that the United States of America orders the world to set up that pays homage to the beast? It's a good question, isn't it? He, the United States of America, was given power to give breath to the image. The image came alive so it could speak. Look at this. This is future. This impacts you. It impacts 
me. It impacts our world. This is not past. This is not present even. It is future and I believe as you look at the signs and the times, the signs of the Bible, it is near future. So it could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be what? To be killed. That's a, that's a, a phenomenal statement from the Bible. The United States of America sets up an image to the Church of Rome and those who refuse to bow down and worship this image, whatever it is, they'll be what? Killed. I think that's very heavy. I go back to a story in Daniel, the ancient prophet. We have an ancient king called Nebuchadnezzar who set such an image up in the plain of Jura outside Babylon. And he called his kingdom together. Go and read the story in Daniel 3. We're just going to look at it very briefly. And the entire kingdom came together. And Nebuchadnezzar said to the king, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship the image. There were three Hebrews, only three. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, or I wonder if you know their Hebrew names. Mishael, Azariah and... Well, we all know Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Hananiah, thank you. And these three Hebrews, when the music played, see, music is central to the apostasy here too. When the music played, everybody got on their knees except for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, read the story, had constructed some furnaces, I believe, that being in Iraq, these furnaces were probably powered by oil. And he called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego before him. And he said, <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You see, Nebuchadnezzar liked these three young men. They were bright men in his kingdom. He said, bow down to the image and worship it. If you do not bow down to the image, then I shall put you in the fiery furnace. And I love the answer of these three boys. They said, O king, you need not threaten us and you need not even offer us another chance. We will not bow down to this image. You can throw us in that furnace. If our God whom we serve, who is a true God, so chooses, he will save us. Otherwise, we're happy to die. Same thing. Image. False worship. Bow down or be killed. Satan, who is behind all these powers, does not change his tactics. He'll start off by first trying to deceive you. If he can't deceive you, then he will try and force you. And if he cannot force you, then he will threaten you with death. And if allowed, he will implement that death threat. And if you know the story, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. But Jesus was in the furnace with them and the king said, didn't we throw three in the furnace? I can see four and one looks like God himself. And those three young men came out and the only thing that was burned off them was the ropes. And they, they that day witnessed tremendously for the Lord. But what I want you to see from that story is an image. People bowing down, false worship. Three men who stood up. They were threatened by a death decree. They stood up anyway and eventually they were put in the furnace and yet they were saved. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that some of you here in this church this afternoon will experience the same things as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
and how thrilling that will be. Now hold that story in your mind. Let's look at these text, two texts. We're going to look at them a number of times this afternoon. He, the United States of America, ordered them to set up an image, the same as Nebuchadnezzar, set up an image in honour of the beast, in honour to Nebuchadnezzar, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath. The image came alive. To the, to the image of the first beast so it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. The image causes, the image in Nebuchadnezzar's day caused people to worship falsely. Stay with me, this is so important. The image that the United States of America sets up in homage to the first beast, to the Church of Rome, causes people to worship but it's not worship to God. Now, Revelation 13 is an interesting chapter because it exposes these powers that set themselves up against God. But it is in the next chapter, Revelation chapter 14, that we begin, I believe, to get a hint of what this image is. Because in Revelation chapter 14, God calls the world to something. Something important. He doesn't call a Seventh-day Adventist church. He doesn't call a Protestant church or the Christian church. You'll find in Revelation chapter 14, and we'll look at it in a moment, God causes the, calls the world to something important. And if we have a look at what God calls the world to, perhaps we start to get a hint at what this image in Revelation 13 may be. Look at this, Revelation 14, verse 6. I love this. When I saw another angel, an angel's a messenger, flying in the middle of the air, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. I'll ask you a question. Who's the angel? Who's the angel that's flying in the midst of the air that has a responsibility to give the gospel, the story of Jesus to every nation, tribe, language and people? Look at this, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus, just before he goes to heaven, leaving his disciples on the earth, says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. If you were here this morning, you saw it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, my disciples, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who's the angel? It's you. You are the angel. You are God's messenger. And, and, and God says it is your responsibility to go out and preach, to teach, to tell the world the story about Jesus. How I wish with all my heart that we could somehow fill this church up so full that people could hear the story of Jesus that we preach from, year to, from week to week, year to year. But people in our culture are not that interested. We're horrified when we see Van Nguyen die of execution last Friday. It horrified me. In fact, I believe that no Christian can believe, no Christian can believe in the death penalty because other than anything else, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, right in the middle of them, thou shalt not kill. There's no place for a Christian to kill. I, I know that for a fact. But we're horrified when we see Van Nguyen, Nguyen die of execution, yet we are all under the sentence of death. And if we don't get, allow Jesus into our hearts, 
If we don't allow Jesus to save us, and just as surely as Van Nguyen was taken to the gallows, we will die without a saviour. The world is desperate for a saviour. And how I wish, I wish even my own Adventist church, my own people would take seriously the commission to tell the world about Jesus. How the world needs to hear about Jesus. There is nothing more the world needs to hear than Jesus. And what he offers, which is salvation and forgiveness and peace and a new life. I I told the people this morning in church, I will never, never go back and walk and live without Jesus ever again. The joy that I've found an ordinary Australian, and I'm just a very, very ordinary Queensland Australian who's becoming a Sydney Australianite. That worries me, but it's a lot happening. But the joy I've found... In Jesus, it bubbles up inside me and it bursts out and I can't keep quiet. And when you find Jesus and he truly comes into your heart like he did mine and he forgives you of the deepest and darkest sins like he did me, then you can't keep quiet. It bubbles out. You find yourself talking when you don't mean to. You find yourself sharing sometimes when people don't want to hear but you can't keep quiet. Some people in my family, I won't tell you who they are, so they pity people who sit next to me in train seats or airline seats. You know, it's great, isn't it, when you've got someone, you're flying from Sydney to Singapore to London and they can't move an inch. There's nowhere for them to go. And so you're praying to the Lord to open their hearts so you can share with them the joy of Jesus. You are the angel. You are the one, as Jesus comes into your heart and changes you, you are the one with that challenge to share the gospel. Revelation 14, verse 7. Now, here's a a clue. He said, this is the angel, this is you. This is the call you're asked to give. It's the call I've asked to give. It's the call this church, Warunga SDA, the Seventh-day Adventist church, by the way, is asked to give. He said, the angel, the messenger said, to the world in a loud voice, not in a soft voice, in what sort of a voice? Loud voice! Can you hear me? Loud voice! Fear God! Here's the message. And give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. You better believe it. And then here's the crux of the verse. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. This battle is over worship. I want you to take very careful note. Worship Him who made the what? Help me, the what? The earth, the sea and the springs of water. I want to show you something. See if you can pick this up. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, fourth commandment. I'm only giving you part of it today. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Do you see anything there? Let me go back a slide. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. He is quoting 
John the Revelator, in vision, under the inspiration of God, is quoting from Exodus. In fact, he's quoting the fourth commandment. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all was in them, but he rested on the seventh day and he made it holy. Now, if you still don't get it, look at this. He said in a loud voice, Revelation 14 verse 7, Fear God, give glory to him because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. Look at it. He made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. From six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Take notice of this very carefully. In Revelation 14, the chapter following Revelation 13, I know I'm getting a little theological this afternoon. That's all right. I believe you can understand and take it. In the last days, God calls the world to worship him on the seventh day Sabbath. People say, what's the big deal? Let me tell you what the big deal is. The seventh day Sabbath is designed for no other reason, no other reason than for you to spend time with Jesus, worshipping Him. There is nothing that upsets the evil one. There is nothing that upsets the God, small g, of this world, Satan himself, than people on their knees in praise, in worship to God on the Sabbath day. And since the beginning of time, if there is one commandment, now Satan has actively attacked all commandments, but if there's one commandment that Satan has attacked more than any other, it's the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath is the day that God calls you to come aside from your work, to come aside from your pleasure, from your play, from your everyday living. God calls you, His people, to come aside and spend time with Him. And as you spend time with Jesus Christ, you get power to overcome the evil one. It's what the Sabbath is all about. In fact, I always tell my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters in this church, if you can become a true Sabbath, and I don't even like the word keep, a celebrator because it's a celebration to spend time with Jesus. If you can spend time with Jesus every Sabbath in Bible study, in prayer, in corporate worship here at church in the presence of God, I want to tell you this afternoon, Satan will have very little chance of winning in your life. Why? Because you... Every Sabbath, as Jesus calls, is in the presence, you are in the presence of the high God, the high transcend, transcend, trans, let's just say the high God of heaven. He calls you to it because he loves you. And Satan tries to force you away from the Sabbath because he hates you. It's not the seventh day Sabbath so much. That's the day God gave us, but it's a time that God calls for you to spend with him on the seventh day Sabbath that damages the devil so badly. And in the last days, God says to the world, hey, and he's saying to you in this church this afternoon, and praise the Lord, he brought you here. And he brought you here for a reason. Because he wants to tell you how I love you. The Sabbath is not about being a Seventh-day Adventist. I even look at my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters. I say to them, I think to them, how on earth did you start to think the Sabbath belongs to you? Why do you think the Sabbath was created for Seventh-day Adventists or Seventh-day Baptists? For the world! And in Revelation chapter 14, God says, Hey, hey, people of the world, I still love you. I still want to spend time with you. I want to give you power to overcome the evil one in your life. Come into my presence. Let me soothe your hurts and your pains and your aches from the world you live in and I will give you the power to go out and live successful lives in me. 
Is any wonder that Satan attacks the Sabbath? The attack on the Sabbath from the devil is not an attack on the Seventh-day Adventist church. Are you Adventists here? It's It's an attack. It's an attack on the relationship between God and His people. I want to tell you that it is central. The Sabbath, you better believe it, and this message burns inside of me like a fire. The Sabbath is central to what is going to go on at the end of time. Because if you are going to stand, you are going to stand under the assault of the evil one, under the assault of all these great powers. If you're going to have the wisdom to be able to decipher between good and evil, white and black and grey, then you need a deep relationship with Jesus. And I would challenge you that you can't have it to the depth that you need to see yourself through to the end unless you are a Sabbath keeper. Unless you respond to that call from Jesus to spend time with him. So there it is, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. There's the call. Now let's go back to Revelation 13. I know I'm jumping a bit. The image, the image causes people to worship but not God. Let's look at these texts again. There's a reason I keep going back. He, the United States of America, ordered them to set up an image in honour to the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now I want to show you something. I think she's beautiful. I like to think that she doesn't look too much like Dad. Can you tell that she's mine? It's my oldest daughter. Her name's Hannah. She's seven years of age. On the left-hand side, on my right-hand side, you see a picture of Hannah. Now, Simon, if I was better with my new Apple computer, which the Lord is blessing this afternoon with reliability, I would have been able to turn that picture around into a mirror image. I couldn't do it, try as I might. But if you can pretend that the other picture is a mirror image of Hannah, you have Hannah, the real girl, and then you have in the mirror a what of her? An image. Does it look like her? Does it? Is it her? Huh? No, it's a... It's an image. Now look at this very carefully. Look at it very carefully. I promise you this will be one of the last times we look at these two texts. He ordered them, the world, to set up a what? An image, a reflection of what? Of the first beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This image, look at the text, comes alive. And it speaks and it causes all who refuse, and what's the key word? To worship. Now, God calls his people to worship when? We already saw it, Revelation 14. To worship when? That's a big call. To worship the Sabbath. What's this image that causes people to worship other than the seventh day? Sabbath. Let me just show you one more thing. We have the beast. There he is. 
the Church of Rome. We have the United States, the second beast. There he is, setting up an image, looks similar, doesn't it? That causes the world to worship falsely. Keep in your mind, Revelation 14 says, that central to true worship is the what? Huh? Is the what? Sabbath. Look at this. I just want to show you a paper trail. And not N-A-N. Image, remember I've only had this computer working for less than 24 hours. An image is set up by the USA in honour of the Church of Rome. The image, look at it, causes people to worship falsely. The first angel challenges the people of the world to worship God on the Sabbath. Look at the paper trail. The image to Rome must be like the Rome of the past. Let's look at the Rome of the past for a second. Remember that the seventh day Sabbath is God's final call to a lost world. Don't lose that out of your mind. Now look at this. Daniel 7.25, we go back to our second meeting. Our second meeting. We went through a whole lot of characteristics of the church of Rome. It is the only power that fits them all. And I challenged you, if you can find another power, come and share it with me. It's, there is no other power in all the world except the power of the church of Rome that fits the little horn power of Daniel 7. And you remember one of the things that God said the little horn, the church of Rome would do, would be trying to think to change times and laws. Now look at this, the church of Rome changed the time of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. The church of Rome changed the law of the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day. Remember this? From the Church of Rome, Peter Guyman, who was a priest, question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, to the Catholic priest, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe, this is in the Converts Catholic Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Look at it, think to change times and laws. This is the Church of Rome. We're looking at its image in a moment. The observance, here's another another quote by Monsignor Louis Seguir, another Catholic priest. The observance of Sunday by the Protestants is a homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the Catholic Church. So the beast, we're not looking at the image, the beast changed worship. You might not think that's important. You better believe it's important. I told you, remember, I had a date on the Gold Coast when I was a young pastor with a girl on Wednesday night. Didn't want to go on the date. Didn't turn up to my shame. You know, I was following God. Felt guilty. I rang her up. 11 that night, a father answered the phone. That was traumatic enough for me. He wasn't friendly. Why not? You know, that girl has not spoken to me to this day. I said to her, let's go out on Thursday night. It makes no difference. But for some reason, it made a difference to her. And she didn't want to go out on Thursday night. She never wanted to go out with me again. Because we made the date when? And God makes a date with you when? Sabbath. And Satan knows in his own sinister way. You are talking at one of the most intelligent beings in the universe. Satan knows that if he can change the day, 
that he begins the process of driving people away from their God. And so what does he do? He splits the Christian church not so long after Jesus was on the earth. We have this splinter movement which becomes the church of Rome rising up out of Christianity and one of the first things they do is they change, and I believe it's under the inspiration of the evil one, the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Then we have the Protestant church that came from the church of Rome. Protestant, Martin Luther, great man, nailing his theses on the door at Wittenberg. I've been to the church, didn't see the door, but been to the church. Shook the world and yet God called them back to the Sabbath. God called Martin Luther back to the Sabbath. Well, it's an interesting story. And only a small group that I know of called the Anabaptists ever responded to that call. And that's why this Catholic writer says boastfully the observance of Sunday by the Protestants is an homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the Catholic Church. One more time. I know I'm beating you with this text today. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so I could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Could this image that causes the whole world to worship falsely be the enforcement upon the world of Sunday worship? Homage to the Church of Rome by the United States of America. You say to me today, this afternoon, Lloyd, you must be crazy. How on earth, why would the United States of America, it doesn't make sense, force upon the world Sunday worship? Lloyd, you must be crazy. It doesn't make sense. Remember, the Sabbath is about you spending time with God. Remember, one chapter after this great chapter in Revelation 13, chapter 14, God calls the world to Sabbath worship. But how could the United States of America force the whole world to worship Sunday as an act of homage to the Church of Rome? Look at this. Matthew 24, Luke 21. Signs of the end of the world. If you came to the Prophecy Code 1, you would have seen these. Hurricanes, tsunamis, terrorism, famine, war, drought, financial collapse. Luke 21, 26, describing this time, says, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. I don't know whether you notice, whether it's just me, but the United States and the world is being hit increasingly by disasters and terrorism and the threat of financial collapse. Is it possible that perhaps one day, because of the terrorism, because of the disasters, because of the famine, because of the war, is it possible, the wars, is it possible that there will go out a call to the world a call to the United States and a call to the world to come back to God, to plead to God for mercy, to stop 
sending the hurricanes, to stop sending the tsunamis, to save us from terrorism. What did the whole Western world do the Sunday after September 11? They went where? To church. Why did they go to church? They were seeking who? They were seeking God. They were seeking His protection. And could I challenge you with the fact this afternoon, could I challenge you with the fact that if the disasters continue to heap themselves upon our world, if we begin to see more savage, more ferocious terrorist attacks, if we begin to experience financial collapse where people are losing their homes and their cars and their lifestyle, could I challenge you that it is indeed highly likely that a call will go out for our nations to come back to God? And to me, if the call goes out, it makes sense that they come back to God on Sunday, the day of worship. There it is. Look at the text. Very powerful. Now, I just want to finish up this afternoon with this very quickly. I want to go back to the Church of Rome just for a moment and then to the image again. The Church of Rome, Revelation 13 verse 7, John says, describing the ancient Church of Rome, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. I shared with you that somewhere between 50 and 150 million people, let that figure sink into your mind, were horrified at one death last Friday. A venue in. I was, and you should have been if you weren't. Somewhere between 50 and 150 million people were put to death by the Church of Rome were put to death just like Van Uen was by the Singapore government on Friday. Some of them were hung. Some of them were burned. <laughs> Some of them were drowned. Some of them were tortured to death. Some of them were thrown off cliffs. Some of them were smoked to death in caves hiding from their enemies. 150 million. That's the beast. We stagger. We, 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 we're stunned by this and we, we struggle to understand it because, praise God, you live in a free country. You've never experienced torture. You've never experienced the, the, the fear and the courage that is needed to stand for your faith or die. But there's many people in the past, in fact, I've told my church here that the, 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 that the present times we live in in this world are unusual. Throughout the annals of history, in most cases, people who want to follow Christ have had to make a decision to follow Christ or die. The freedom you have is unprecedented. You want to thank God for it. And God calls you in freedom to follow Him. And it's much simpler and far more blessed to worship God in freedom and to respond to Him in freedom than it is with this sort of pressure on you. But the beast of Revelation 13, the little horn of Daniel 7, go back and read the two chapters, the Bible says the, the beast persecuted the people of God. Now look at this. I don't want to take you through them again. Verse 16. Revelation 13. He also forced everyone. Who's he? Who's he? Uh-huh. First beast or second beast? Who thinks first beast? Second beast? 
Thank you. He also, so we've gone from persuading to now forcing. He also forced everyone. How many? Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. Keep that in your mind and now look at this. He, the United States of America, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. Brought to life this concept, this idea that to come back to God you must worship him on Sunday. So it could speak and cause all who refuse to what? To worship, to worship, to worship. You've got a choice. You worship God how he calls you to on the Sabbath or you worship how the beast, first and second beast of Revelation 13, little horn of Daniel 7, you have a choice to worship as they force. God calls you because he loves you. God calls you to do it in freedom. Satan says you worship how I tell or you will be killed. Now we find out he's forcing everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on right hand or on the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. A lot of people have said to me, this mark, Lloyd, and I get, I, I get emails with people telling me this, or there's a little computer chip they can put in your hand. Unless you agree to worship the beast, when you go to buy something, then that little computer chip will, will, will ring out a beep and you won't be... Well, I don't believe that. If I had more time, I'd share this with you. But all it means, if you receive the mark of the beast in your hand, it means, hey, you do what the beast is telling you to do. You may not believe it, but you do it. If you receive the mark of the beast in your forward, then not only do you do what the mark of the beast asks you to do, you also believe it. There's a crucial difference there. One group of people at the end of time, following the beast, believe that what they're doing is right. That can't be any of you because you've been exposed to the truth in this series of meetings. Another group, perhaps there's going to be some Seventh-day Adventists in this group, don't believe it. They don't go along with it, but, but they do it. And so they've got the mark in their hand. Those who believe and do have the mark in their forehead. It's an invisible mark. It's a mark that God and the devil only can see. Has anybody got the mark of the beast today? No, they have not. Because we have not yet come to this time. But surely it cannot be far off. I just thought you needed to see this. Then I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider and the horse. This is Jesus. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. We're talking about systems here now, not people. The Bible says God will capture this beast. God will capture this false prophet. I'm reminded of my father who was a farmer catching wild bulls. It was a stirring sight watching my father catch these wild animals and he knew how to deal with them. He knew how to rope with them. 
rope them. He knew how to put a, 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 a ring in their nose. And I've seen wild beasts when my father would capture them with a ring in their noses, following him like gentle little lambs. Bible says that just like my father knows how to capture a wild bull to this day, so God, the King of the universe, knows how to capture this beast. He knows how to capture and subjugate the false prophet. And the Bible says, look at it, the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. Now, I want to remind you as we close. Well, let me go to this next slide. An image is set up by the US in honour to the Church of Rome. The image causes people to worship falsely. The first angel challenges the people of the world to worship God on the Sabbath. Number four, the image to Rome must be like the Rome of the past. The image to Rome is false worship based in Sunday and secular laws that enforce it. Eventually, you won't be able to buy or sell if you don't worship the beast and you remember that the beast killed people in the past, the image says in the Bible that it will kill people in the future. I believe there's coming a day and I believe it's not far away when you'll be called, if you don't today, to make a decision on whether or not you'll follow Jesus or whether you'll follow the beast. It's a serious call. And if you decide to follow Jesus and as the Bible says, the image to the beast, you may lose your life. That's a very sobering thing. But as you study these prophecies, never forget number seven, God will defeat the beast. Oh yeah, there may come a time where you won't be able to buy or sell food for trade, but God will be with you and he will care for you and he promises that you will never hunger and you will never thirst. He will watch over you. There may come a time well, you may be asked to give your life for the Lord. You can do it because you have a relationship with him and God will walk by your side. Jesus says, and I like to finish, and I wish we had more time, but we've run out of time. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, trust in God. Oh yeah, these powers are out there. These powers do at times cause us to be troubled. But he says, trust in God, you can trust in me. This is great promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is all going to end like this series. Jesus is going to come. He will capture and destroy the beast and the false prophet. But he wants to save you. And that's what this series has been all about. Jesus saving you. And I can't close this series without making an appeal. And it's late in the day, but I must make it. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you'd like to know more, then I want to plead with you to let either Clifton or myself speak with you further.